You're listening to Courting Justice, a production of Neighborhood Christian Legal Clinic in Indianapolis with your host, Ashley Cavetta. This is our second episode of the podcast, and today we have our guests Michael Hurst and Noemi Gallegos, and I was hoping you guys could introduce yourself a little bit and tell uh, a little bit about what you do. So Michael, why don't we go ahead and start with you? Okay. Well, I'm Michael Hurst. I'm the executive director of Legacy House. Legacy House is a um, nonprofit organization here in Indianapolis uh, that provides free counseling services to victims of violence, all victims, all violence, um, men, women, and children. We've also got a couple little uh, therapy dogs, little uh, comfort dogs that run around the office, uh, Sophie and Gracie, um, who do not have their counseling credentials, but who are incredibly (laughs) good counselors. Um, They come out and they they meet clients and, and act as little fidgets. And cheer everybody up, I'm sure. They're wonderful. Yeah, that's really cute. And then, um, Noemi, why don't you tell a little bit about what you do? So I'm the immigrant advocate for Victim Justice Program and the Immigrant Justice Program. And I work with victims of domestic violence, rape, child abuse. And you actually work here at the clinic. Yes. Thank you guys so much for being here. Uh, today we're actually going to be talking about serving clients well, loving clients well, and especially those people who may have gone through serious trauma. One of the things that I've, I've kind of been reading about recently is that many people who go through violent crime, domestic violence, they often don't even report to the police what's happened to them. And so there are probably a lot of people who are not coming to organizations like the legal clinic to get legal assistance or Legacy House to get counseling. And so the ones that do, you know, maybe it, maybe it was hard for them to even come through the front door. So Knowing that many victims of trauma and violence often don't seek help, how do you help those who do come to your office feel safe? Well, you know, one of our one of the taglines, the sound bites, essentially that we use all the time, is the first step is that the hardest step is the first one to the front door. In fact, that's on some of our our marketing material as well. And with victims of trauma, it's 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 very true. There's so much victim blaming that's out in the community. And even even the family member of a homicide victim, for example, will oftentimes have a slow start to the healing process because they somehow feel responsible for really? the homicide of their child or their spouse or their sibling. Um, what could I have done differently? How could I have raised them differently? Why wasn't I with them? You know, all those things. And so mm-hmm. those stigmas that are somewhat self-inflicted oftentimes keep people from coming. The first thing is you want to build a safe environment. You want people who come in to feel absolutely safe in the environment that they're in. And then secondly, you want to build a trusting relationship. They've got to trust you. They've got to trust that that their confidences are going to be held. They've got to trust that they can say things, share their um, share their worst the worst parts of themselves mm. and know that it's not going to be held against them. And I think if you do, if you're able to do those two things, show them a safe environment and, and build a trusting relationship with them, then you can actually get down to the, to the process of healing. And at Legacy House, we do a couple things. Um, first of all, we're, we're located in the lower level of 
the Eskenazi North Arlington Health Center. So it's a very clinical setting, the building. But when you come down into Legacy House, there's a doorbell and you ring the doorbell. The comfort dogs are running around. There's, you know, fish tank. We're going to offer you coffee. We're going to offer you tea. We're going to offer you water. Um, we're going to get you with a counselor as quickly as I can. And as mm-hmm. you go through our suite, what you're going to see in the suite, um, Ashley, are, is all this art. You know, it's like there's there's the fluorescents are down and there's there's um, accent lighting all over the place and there's art that the kids and other people have put up and it's on the walls. And that's kind of off the cuff, one of the very first first yeah. ways that we establish that safe environment. Yeah. So uh, just right off the bat, aesthetically speaking, it's not particularly clinical. Not at all. Noemi, uh, I know that obviously you're working directly with clients. How do you feel about this issue? Like what are some of the things that you do to get a client to open up to you when they're talking about really difficult things? Well, at the clinic, it's not, we don't have the uh, environment that Legacy House does, but I'm glad that's something out there that exists because that's very important. Everything that he talked about is very important. You could probably get a lot more out of someone um, during their first meeting than Mm -hmm. you would with my first meeting. Mm -hmm. So with my first meeting, um, it's usually going to be probably intake. What I try to always do is probably know that this is the first time that they're they're coming um, to to seek help anywhere. Mm -hmm. So my objective is to plant a seed. I make sure I always close the door. I make sure and make them feel welcomed. I smile at them a lot and I just let let them know that they could always come back. And so what I want the person to know is that when they're ready, they can get help right now or when they're ready, they know where to come. Victim blaming is really easy to do. Yes. Okay. And so you have to always be conscious of not saying what you think because the first thing that you think is, why do you? with him Uh or um, gosh just go to the junior center right now and don't go back there Uh so you have to be very understanding uh, because you unless you're in that situation you don't really know it could be financial reasons it could be emotional reasons I'm not just helping them with their domestic violence issue or their rape issue or their child molest issue I'm gonna be helping them with their immigration issue yeah and so I try to sell that especially Mm -hmm. if they have a case that way, it'll be something I can work on during the, the, the course of the case. Even this podcast and your blog at Neighborhood Christian Legal Clinic is a way that you make clients or can make prospective clients feel more comfortable. You know, we, we, we had a client one time contact us about a domestic violence situation, uh-huh. and she wanted to come in for herself and for her children. And so we scheduled the, we did the intakes over the phone and we scheduled the appointment and she never showed up. They never came. But six months later, she's the victim of a domestic violence homicide. Mm. And now grandma's calling to try to come in and get the kids in. Mm -hmm. And so we don't know why people don't. Yeah reach out to us for help. We don't know why people fall out of services, but if we have any inkling about why that might be and how we can fix it through through technology or otherwise, then we want to do that because we don't want people to fall out of services. Because it can literally mean someone's life. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, obviously the things that you guys are dealing with on a daily basis are really difficult, really hard. You're seeing people in really horrible situations and you want to help them, but 
you, you know, you can't always do that. You can't always help them. And I know that there's been a lot of research done in the area of secondary trauma, people who are working with people who've <laughs> gone through violent crimes or abuse of some kind. And one of the things I saw is it said that, um, you know, the effects of this can be mitigated somewhat, even just by educating oneself about the effects of secondary trauma. So I w I'm kind of interested to know, how are you guys avoiding burnout? There's tactical things like, uh, I only I'll read two affidavits in one day. Different stories will impact you and then you'll remember those stories and you'll say, well, maybe this person will end up in college just like so-and-so uh -huh. did. And oh my gosh. And so you just, you look forward to and anticipate what the good that's going to happen. You know, even a rainy day, there's some good that's going to come out of that rainy day because the grass is going to grow. We're going to have flowers. Mm -hmm. And so that's how I, I look at every client, every prospective client. And I really do think that each time that I sit down with somebody, I'm going to help them. Even if I can't take their case, I know that I'm going to help them because I'm going to take the moment to share love. Even if you can't help a client, you still see yourself, you're helping that client because you're having a moment with them where you can affirm them, tell them that they have a place to come when they're ready. Maybe you can't take their case for some reason, but you can still be that positive force in their life. And I love that. A best practice mm -hmm. is um, to limit, and Amy talked about, I'm only going to read two affidavits a day, mm -hmm. um, to limit kind of what it is that you're doing. So each of our counselors at Legacy House is capped at no more than five trauma clients a day okay. um, in an eight-hour or a nine-hour day. They're not, they're not, they're not allowed <laughs> to see more than five individual uh, trauma clients a day. One of the things that I'm constantly doing along with the clinical supervisor is making sure that our counselors maintain boundaries in terms of how many clients they're going to see. And then those additional hours of their day, they're going to use, they could use for things like, you know, plugging in data or doing sure. what we would call charting, which we don't really do, but, you know, just putting in the data, um, doing research if they want to do research, or very frankly, um, if, if what the counselor needs to do is go sit down with another counselor and just talk about what they're going to do over the weekend, um, that's, that's a thing that they, they certainly can and should do too, taking a walk, taking some time away, um, enjoying God's nature. Um, all, all of those, all of those things. Petting the dogs. I was going to say spending some time with <laughs> the therapy. For therapy. Dogs. When I'm writing a grant, <laughs> yeah. I usually uh, Sophie, one of our one of our comfort dogs, usually knows I'm working on a grant proposal because <laughs> she comes and she lays down at my feet. People that are listening to this are in a helping field, and and so we can't help ourselves but to want to overextend and cross those boundaries because there is that one more person that we want to get on our calendar that we want to help that we want to extend for. Um, but every single time we do that, we give a little bit more of ourselves and we make ourselves less effective in the long term. When I was in practice, actively in practice, I worked for the Illinois Attorney General's office for, for quite a while. And one of the kinds of cases I would work on on the appellate level were capital cases. So mm, okay. individuals who had been convicted and were serving death sentences who were appealing their sentences. And I worked for the state and I was defending those sentences on appeal in the state Supreme Court. We had our first child in 1991. Okay. And so I've got this new baby at home, mm -hmm. under a year old, and I'm sitting at my desk at the attorney general's office, and I was working on a case that involved a child murder, a little six-year-old oh girl who was kidnapped and, and, and 
who was the victim of a homicide and many other things. And I was reading the transcript on mitigation, you know, the parade of horribles that had happened to the defendant um, that his lawyers argued should mitigate the death penalty. And I was reading that transcript, and he had very little mitigation. He grew up in an affluent suburb of Detroit, Michigan. His parents were professionals. One was a lawyer. One was a surgeon. Um, He, you know, that that parade of horribles that you typically see with somebody who grows up on the edge of a knife, Mm -hmm. those weren't present with him. And I found myself crying. I'm sitting at my (laughs) Wang computer, right? Mm -hmm. You know, it was back in the day. And Mm -hmm. I'm typing and tears are streaming down my cheeks, and I found myself crying. And I wasn't thinking about my baby being the victim of a homicide the way this child was. I was thinking about my baby could grow up to be a perpetrator. And when I realized that I was thinking about my baby in that way, I realized that I was experiencing some significant trauma just by working on that those kinds of cases so no you can't separate you really can't it's not just a matter of turning off the news the triggers are all over the place and they come where you least expect them yeah my baby was a trigger Mm -hmm. now he's not a perpetrator he grew up to be a a fine man (laughs) 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 is is legacy house a christian organization or is it not well we're not a faith-based organization organization. no but but we offer spiritual care and i would say that that Everybody there approaches the clients. If, if spiritual care is what they need and what resonates with them, then we're going to meet the client where they are, and we're well-equipped to do that. Mm-hmm. And when we feel like we're not, we pull in some experts. Or do you find that many do do want that kind of count or help in there? One of, usually what we experience is that people come in angry at God very often What's involved is that they're also mourning at the same time their relationship with God. If you're, if let me put it, if you're pissed off at God, then and you've had a good relationship with God, then you're going to mourn the relationship that you've somehow lost. And so the spiritual care is oftentimes just being a silent presence and helping individuals who come in with that feeling slowly resolve that feeling so that they can then start to work on the other trauma, the other baggage that they're experiencing as a result of the trauma. I'm, um, I'm glad you said all of that, though, because I've not thought, I wouldn't have thought of that, uh, of like mourning that loss of what you feel like your relationship with God was and then going, okay, how do I get, how do I get back on track? How do I become less angry and so that I can live my life more, more fully and be healthy? Um, and I do. I, I just want to follow that up too with just the state that that I do. I'm a big believer in His grace. Amen. Um, you know, Noemi was talking about even the rain. You know, a rainy day, and that's grace. You know, because you get into your car and you're driving through the rain, and it's really easy. You know, that to be mad about the puddle and the the the, the pothole you didn't see and the you know, and the traffic and all of those kinds of things. And his grace allows us to react to the environment around us in positive ways. Mm -hmm. 
and and that's true just as much when you're working with clients um you know having peace and and recognizing his grace in, in the processes you can be angry at god and i want to let clients know that if they if they let me know that that's what they're angry i i just try to direct them towards understanding what they're feeling and try to get them back to that place and then there's times where the strength that they have in God and the love that they have in God after what they've been through is so immense it reinforces and so I feel like I have more clients that have helped me grow in God's grace wow. and God's love and I I very seldom uh, even been with a client that didn't that was very very angry um, uh, to, towards God they were angry about what happened but they weren't really angry they were more confused that's interesting that in a lot of cases it seems to make it stronger but I like too that you that you know you make it clear like it's okay to be angry you know it's okay to be mad that's part of you know what life is and we're gonna be here for you no matter what and we care about you you really do have to meet the client where they are if you are right out of the gate trying to tell them that they're not in the right place or here are different ways here's i'm you know i'm sorry you feel that way but here's the way you should feel i mean no nobody in our profession would do that but 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 there are subtle ways that you can do that i mean building trust is all about meeting them right where they are mm -hmm. so that they can take the baby steps they need to yeah. take and well like noemi said it's very easy to accidentally victim blame Oh, yeah. You know, so you have to kind of like just listen a lot and maybe just, yeah, you have to be really careful. And I'm sure obviously you guys know a lot better than I do since I don't work directly with victims and I would probably accidentally do things all the time without being aware of it. But that's interesting that it's something that can happen without even, without you even trying. Yeah, I, th I think um, you should give yourself a break too. We should all give ourselves a little bit of a break here because I, I think that to the extent that we do that unintentionally, it's not with any sort of malice. Um, you know, we all want to feel safe. We all want to feel safe in our homes, in our families, in our communities, in our workplaces. And so anytime anyone is the victim of violence, it's really easy for the rest of us to do this others kind of thing, where we're looking for reasons why the violence happened so that we can feel safer. You were drinking too much. You were in the wrong neighborhood. You were out at the wrong time. You kept going back to the same person. I mean, these things run through our minds in general and then also in individuals who are in a helping profession because we want to feel safe. And so there's got to be some reason why something happened. How do you serve clients well when there are so many of them? And how do you keep clients from just feeling like another number in the mix? I think we can go back to the rain and you have to find the good in, in what's pouring down. And I will say that I get overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. um, so you just have to learn how to do overwhelmed well. You look at the positive outcomes uh, because you don't want to look at them as a number because if you do mm -hmm. just only start look, thinking about the good things um, that may come, it might derail you from the reason why you really are out here doing God's work and mm -hmm. serving others well. So there is a kind of a balance and it is, I think it's the hardest part of working with people is understanding your limitations, 
understanding their limitations and then understanding your role within mm -hmm. that. I have learned a very hard lesson is that let other people do their job well too. Because mm -hmm. sometimes you try to take on too much and you're, you try to fix all the problems. Just fix the problems that you know are yours to mm -hmm. fix. So part of that too then is obviously trusting other people to to be walking that journey with you. It's not Noemi or Michael has to fix all of the problems for this person, but they've got a team of people and you're all going to work together. Now I feel like I'm being counseled. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then at the end of the day, even if Michael or Noemi didn't really do anything, we could still pray. Yeah. And we can hmm. still put it in God's hands. Uh -huh. Well, and I know practically speaking, too, for the clinic side, that we have actually limited the number of people that are coming through intakes because we're trying to serve the people that we're serving better rather than, oh, we got to crank them one in, one out, one in, one out. So, you know, I know that, for instance, in 2012, we saw 400 or 4,694 people come through intake. And then in 2015, we saw 4,092. So about... 600 fewer people and then that gives more meaningful interactions with the attorneys that takes a little bit of the weight off of the shoulders of the staff that are then working with the cases that we take obviously that does mean making some hard choices because you can't serve quite as many but then hopefully you're serving the people that you are serving better mm -hmm. you can have faith that whatever message that you gave them or the clinic gave them, mm -hmm. whatever help you gave them, they're going to share that. Mm -hmm. There's scripture that supports that too. The idea of pouring into pouring into someone so that they can pour out to others, you know, and one of our um, one of our clients who lost a daughter to a homicide 4 years ago or so referenced that during one of our events. You know, he said, you know, Legacy House poured into me so that I could pour out to others. I, I like, we kind of have a water theme going <laughs> with the rain and the waves and the ripples. And I think that's exactly right. It was all planned right. well ahead of this <laughs> to be perfectly done that way. Yeah, as long as we don't drown. <laughs> right. <laughs> what are some best practices in serving victims of trauma? Like, how are you empowering the people that you're serving? Because obviously we don't want it to just be like, we're going to come in and save the day and we're going to fix you and your problems because we're the hero of this story. Because obviously that's not true, nor is it a great mindset to have going into this. So what are the ways that the victims or clients can be empowered throughout these, this process? In the beginning, when I meet someone and I know I take their case, I give them a, a sort of like an interview appointment, and I say, okay, this is what's going to happen to you visa case. This is what your expectations of me are, and these are my expectations of you. We have this, this the idea is to move from victim to survivor to thriver, and there are different attributes to each of those things. Violence and trauma can invade every domain of your life. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so just as an example, um, one of our child and adolescent counselors shared a story with me about her client who was experiencing night terrors. When the lights went off, the night terrors came on. And so over the course of three or four months in their weekly counseling sessions, the counselor and the client agreed that over time, they were going to start to turn off some of the lights mm -hmm. in the counseling room until they did a session in complete darkness. <laughs> and and the client came out, this child client came out of that session feeling 
empowered. Yeah. Even the smallest step is mm-hmm. going to going to be helpful. Noemi, you actually kind of were broaching on this with the last question that I asked, but I've been wondering about striking a balance be- between being gentle with clients, but also placing those expectations on them, such as gathering paperwork or keeping appointments so that you can effectively help them. It just depends on the individual basis because in the position that I am in, I have either the power to change some, assist in the power of changing someone's life drastically or in a positive way or in a negative way. It's hard for me to answer that question uh, heartfully because I feel like no matter what, I would probably not close the case and see if I can get an intern to work on it or if I can get a volunteer attorney to work on it. You guys have a harder time with this, I think, than um, than we do um, because you have deadlines that you, especially in the legal, you know, with housing and court activity and, and things that expire, you know, if you've got clients who are not moving at a specific pace, then it can be an, it can be an issue. Whereas with what we do at Legacy House and the counseling, it's not so much an issue. Our bigger issue in terms of with, what's the word, recalcitrant client, or mm-hmm. it would be many times our clients will not show up for their appointments or will cancel. So today, a rainy day like today, I've got eight counselors. They've each got five clients scheduled. So that's 40 clients they're supposed to walk through the door mm-hmm. today. And if we get 25, it'll be a good day. It's a rainy day. And so somebody who has to take three buses to get to us or who has undependable transportation or who's mm-hmm. relying on a ride, they're not going to come. Um, that's an issue because there are a bunch of other people who we could have scheduled for today that are not scheduled for today. And so it's just staying on top of the no-shows and cancellations and, and very we don't want to be punitive about it. But so we've got some process of somebody no-shows two times in a row, then we're going to work work with that the clinical supervisor is going to get involved and work with that client so there's grace there but obviously you do have to come up with some practical tactics too. have to i'm firm with some people and i'm not firm with others and i know who to be firm with and i know who not to be firm with i want to be able to prevent and anticipate a victim from not coming back Mm. because if you make a victim feel like well if you're late i'm not going to see you Mm -hmm and they have to take four buses to come see you, they may be late. So you know mm-hmm. what they're gonna do? They're just not gonna come. If they live far, far away, I usually will mail them stuff and I'll have them mail stuff in. So I think it's about preventing and anticipating that more so, like you can put more work into that and less work into say, oh well, we have to have a system. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that you have to just communicate Mm-hmm. that your time is important, your caseload, because some clients don't even know that we have a high caseload here. I'd love to know a little bit about some of your favorite clients that you've worked with and, and mm-hmm. why those particular people have stayed with you or moments with them have stayed with you. <laughs> so I've got, I've, got my, I've got some favorites. Okay. Sophie was laying under my desk, so I must have been doing a, uh, a grant application. <laughs> And Sophie ran out to the hallway, and this child, who was probably six years old, just lit up like a light bulb and mm-hmm. got down on the floor, was petting the dog, and the dog's licking his face. And the, now now he's talking a mile a minute. And and my favorite thing was when he 
when he stood up and he started talking about going to the circus. And when you go to the circus, you can ride a stinky elephant. And then he spreads his legs <laughs> and he starts to rock back and forth and back and forth, side to side. And he's showing showing us, the counselor, myself, and Sophie, this is how you ride a stinky elephant. And he's moving back and forth. And, I, I mean, he just totally charmed me. Uh-huh. But the, the thing that I took from that and why I tell that story was you never know what the thing is that is going to open somebody up to draw them out. In that case, it was a dog. Yeah, those are great stories. Yeah. Mine are more um, usually, you know, always the outcomes are the same. Um, based on petition wise Mm -hmm. Um, everybody's different but I think that the biggest thing throughout all the clients across the board for us is family reunification there's clients that haven't seen their mothers in 12 years you hand them a legal permanent residency card and that doesn't mean I'm legal in the United States that doesn't mean hey I can live here and not be under the radar to them that means I get to see my mother before she dies one more time. You know, I've really enjoyed talking to both of you about this topic. Obviously, it's a heavy topic. We're talking about people who've experienced really horrible, like you said, the parade of horribles in their lives. They have a lot of terrible things that have happened, but those aren't the only things that have happened in their lives. And they're not the only things that are going to happen in their lives. Do you have any just final thoughts or anything else that you'd like to add? There is no such thing as closure. And I think that when, whether we're professionals or, or we're just loving somebody who's been through something horrible, we think that there's some period of time where they should have be over it now, that, that, that closure. And, and even when we're victims, my brother was the hom- a homicide victim when I was young. And I remember my family thinking that when the trial was over with, there would be closure. But you know what? It was over with, and we still celebrated Christmas and Easter without him and mm-hmm. his birthday, and the pain the pain was still there. There is no closure. There's moving mm-hmm. from victim to survivor to thriver, but the violence that our loved ones and our clients experienced is always going to be a part of their life. It's just how they're able to incorporate it in mm-hmm. and and continue to be functional and have enjoyment in their mm-hmm. life. Noemi, did you have any final thoughts? I think that he said it perfectly. I would, I would, I would also remind people the same thing. And we're surrounded by grace, and we're surrounded by love, and so we should use those every time that we get a chance. Thank you guys so much. Oh, thank, thank you. And Ashley. thank you, thank you to our listeners too. Also, we are asking you to tweet your questions at NC Legal Clinic and use hashtag courting justice. Let us know if you have questions. In fact, we did have a question about, you know, becoming desensitized or working with so many clients that we were able to talk about a little bit in today's podcast. So please let us know. I want to hear what you have to say. We want to be able to address legal questions or or thoughts you have about the work that we're doing. Thank you for listening to Courting Justice, a production of Neighborhood Christian Legal Clinic. Don't forget to follow us on social media at NC Legal Clinic. Mm-hmm.